This is Talking Ears, where music creators get to tell the story of their own ears. My name is Frank Wardinger. In this episode, we're joined by Ricky Mazzada. He's a founding member and drummer of the explosive and influential indie rock band Me Without You, who is currently embarking on their farewell tour after over 20 years of making music together. He shares a cautionary tale about injuring his ears doing the thing he loves and what this means for him personally moving forward. I got a hearing test uh, fairly recently, and it's almost line for line the test we did two years ago. So just that alone gave me incredible peace of mind. Like, oh, I can do this thing without further doing more damage to my ears. Just knowing that it's possible to go out and do it safely while still having fun and respecting the music and being able to have a career, it's, it's pretty awesome. Like nobody wants to hear wear earplugs. When I see them before a show, I'm like, make sure you're wearing or they have their kids with them and they're they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like grab them and I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like you need to do this. This isn't a, a negotiable if you're gonna come to this show that's between hundred and 130 dBs at any given moment. I really try to shake people up because it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. That's like the reaction you get. Until they know. Until they know, yeah. Like I, I got into Green Day in like 1994 or I was in like uh, seventh or eighth grade and I was like, oh, Trey, cool. That guy looks like he's having fun. I also saw at like a picnic, there was like a 4th of July, like hundreds of people and there was a cover band playing Wipeout. And I remember watching the, the drummer. To a kid, it looks way harder than it actually is. It's really simple. But I thought that was like so cool. And uh those are like two dorky defining moments. When I was a senior in high school, so I was like 17 or 18, I met Mike Weiss. That was the first time him and some other people were there and we were jamming and they had guitar pedals and they had Marshall cabinets and telecasters and it, was, it wasn't like the amateur hour that I lived in for five or six years. Seeing their dedication and their ability to play, it kind of made me step up my game and then all of a sudden that money you saved up from working your, your little side job as a high school student, you're buying a $500 symbol. So if you're buying a $500 symbol to like impress some older guys, you better play the $500 symbol. So that's like where it ramped up. Like I would say that was like the on-ramp to the next 20 years of my life. You mean Mike, was that the beginning of the band or was that pre me without yeah, you? Yeah, there was a like there was like a few kind of iterations. Like me and Mike would jam on Friday nights and interestingly enough, we were playing kind of like Brit pop and like weird Rolling Stone songs. We would just cover weird stuff and he would show me riffs and one of the riffs ended up being 
like one of the main tracks on our first record. And that was two years before we even recorded the album. It was just like jamming. So we linked up um, and Aaron felt like screaming. That's our singer. <laughs> and we produced a really bad demo and we played a few shows. And we kind of signed to our first label like very soon after. I'm kind of one of those people that when you're doing something, you like get in the mentality of like you go all the way with it, whatever that means for that moment. Mm -hmm. So when I'm playing drums, um, I feel like this could be the last show. It could be, um, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I'm just playing from emotion. And sometimes yeah. that's gotten me into trouble because it's like, ah, oh, man, I was playing that song. There was no dynamics or, but that's like a fleeting moment. Now I, I try to rein it in a little just because I have like pinched nerves in my neck. I have lower bulging discs in my back, not to mention all the ear stuff. But the first show of the tour after I linked up with you and got the, the impressions made and we did all the hearing tests. Uh, our first show was in San Francisco and I was like really apprehensive and I had the big cans on. And I told a lot of people like, Hey, I'm going to lay back. Uh, I'm just like, don't put any lights on me. I don't want to, I'm just going to be laid back. And then the people I told that to were friends and that they came up after like, yo, you went insane. <laughs> so I don't know the the meter of what that is. I'm just so focused on the music because that's like the most important aspect of what we do is the music. You're reacting. Yes. When we first met, or maybe it was right after, you mentioned that you had that neck issue. Did you say it was literally whiplash or what What was the... That's what they the doctors, after many visits and neurology visits and chiropractor visits, and they all kind of were like, yeah, you have strong signs of whiplash uh that were untreated so it might have been a thing that i've done it a few times um i woke up one one morning after a, a hotel stay like i couldn't move my neck to the point where i was vomiting from the pain went on played the show never sought treatment for it i play the show and then luckily that was the last show of the tour that's why i kind of knuckled through it and that was like four or five years ago. Fast forward to before I met you, I was on a tour kind of doing the same thing. And it, that whole area reopened. A lot of pinched nerves. The whiplash thing really kicked into effect. You mentioned the first times that you started to hear tinnitus. Was it after shows, after rehearsals? I mean, it's hard to remember anything before what I call like the bomb. It's hard to remember because it was so subtle. And it was like, it would have to be like supremely quiet and you would have nothing in your hands to look at. And you'd be like, oh, my, my ears are ringing. Just like the hiss that like everybody has that mm -hmm. um, to a degree. Is that correct? I believe so. I don't really, re it wasn't agitating. So it never registered like, oh, I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. There was no like a uh, danger alarms going off. So I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. 
because like real quick, my brother, he works in nightclubs and he's constantly for seven hours in these rooms where the music is probably louder than our shows with like a rock band because it's a dance club. And he started telling me recently that his ears have been ringing and he can't figure out why. And I'm like, bro, you're exposed as exposed the human being for nights, five, six nights in a row, you are exposed. And just because you're working there and like, you're not paying attention to the music, that's even worse. Like you need to start using air protection. Of course he blows me off. Yeah. But when somebody's kind of vulnerable, I try to, explain if they already aren't on that path they're like yo you can manage your situation and prevent a lot work this getting worse because it does like i said it gets worse first it's just like a noticeable thing that happens for a minute or two and then it's like a light switch you can't turn off or that's at least how it feels once it's like really taken hold when it became persistent i couldn't really pinpoint what it sounded like mm-hmm. it was like almost like just like a fairy screaming or something <laughs> like a tiny fairy but with this massive like weird magical power screaming um every once in a while it kind of sounds like dial up when you were doing like AOL back in the day mm-hmm. or like like a weird computer mechanical sounds. Like sometimes when you get interference over your interface and your mic and there's like these transient sounds, it's it's like that, but louder. I think I've only, there was like an article I came across where people were playing um, sounds that matched. Mm-hmm. And there was one guy's and I was like, that's it. Like it totally cross-faded and neutralized it. Oh, interesting. But it's just super high pitched and but it's almost like distant dolphins. I don't know. There's yeah. like little sounds in there sometimes for me if I really focus on it. Even now, like when I really want the tinnitus is bad, I try to focus on like the furthest sound. I open the window. The furthest sound I can hear, mm-hmm. whether that's a train or a, a big rig half a mile away, mm-hmm. I try to focus on that sound and living in that sound um, as like a diversion tool. We were on tour with a band called Pedro the Lion in 2019 the last show was in charleston stuff just like exploded during soundcheck i was like i don't think i've ever heard a venue or monitors this loud my ears hurt immediately during soundcheck was the first time i'm like something is very wrong and we got in the the bus after the show said our goodbyes because it was the last 
and my wife was with us and i was like i started getting like misty eyed i'm like yo i it's ringing so loud kind of like the headachey pulsing headache and it created a lot of anxiety and kind of it just spiraled for weeks like it just progressively would get worse or my perception of it because i was so focused on the ringing and i just wanted it to stop and at that point in time i believed there was like a magic pill there was some maneuver i was banging a spoon on the back of my head a hundred times because i saw a youtube video of it and i'm like what am i doing and then that's when i had sought like professional help and i sought you out kind of caused me to take a full-scale look at my overall health. Everything to like salt content to how much weight I was gaining. It was kind of an eye-opening. You're almost 40 years old. You need to manage yourself better than you are. And that's why I really harpoon people with the, you got to wear earplugs. You should get your hearing tested. Up until that bomb happened, were you using any kind of protection when you're on stage or in rehearsals where you, when you're playing drums, did you ever, um, yeah. you can cut out anything you want. Later. No, no, this is, this is super important because this is where I got off the road of hearing quiet ever again. Yeah. I probably did not wear hearing protection for a thousand of those shows. Sure. And that's like a safe estimate. And I never wore ear protection to a concert. But like you would see these 70s rock bands like ACDC and Aerosmith. Not that I even listened to that stuff, but they would get asked about their hearing and stuff. And they'd be like, it's not fun if it's not loud. And and those kind of like weird 80s and 70s big rock show mentality thing, that like got into my head and I convinced myself I could not feel the music unless I could hear it blowing out my brains from behind a drum kit. And if I tried earplugs, I would just be like, I wouldn't even let myself normalize to using them. I just would be like, these are garbage. And I would throw them out of my ears immediately while I'm playing. It was just a lot of bad decision-making. And then I think prior to that Pedro tour, I did get in-ears, but they weren't molded. Not only did I have the in-ears cranked, but I also had my monitor blasting me as well. And the, the ambient sound of the room. So for like 50 or 60 shows, it was like, yeah, it sounds cool, but I'm not being protected at all. And, and you mentioned like it was bad decisions, but really, I mean, I, I want to take the blame off of individuals for their choices there because really it's a, it's a culture, right? It's a societal thing where you have all these rockers who it's an unfair situation because when they were starting, that's when huge amplifiers and huge sound systems were also starting. So nobody up until that point had been exposed to what they were being exposed to. So they could easily say, well, if it's too, if it's too loud, you're too old is what they would say. Right. Yep. Um, so you can say that because they didn't have a history of, you know, artists in the 1950s lasting out their ears. But then suddenly, now you have The Who, you have ACDC. Absolutely. So they didn't have the older generation to say that because the loud sound didn't exist at the time, right? You can't blame yourself for making a bad decision because... Yeah, that's an interesting take of like, there's no frame of reference prior to that. And I'm not I'm not blaming that. And I know I called out ACDC and... Oh, sure. 
it's just like that overall mentality was a thing that like somehow latched onto my brain more and more. I have been seeing a lot of those like classic artists coming out and being like, I can't hear a damn thing. That's why I, it's one of those things like where I keep going back to like, you wish you would have taken the advice. I don't have like, I don't like stew with regret, but sometimes I get fond and I'll be looking back into my past. I'm like, why would I not do this thing that is going to benefit me 30 years down the road? Like if I could have told my future self that, and I feel like all like the grunge rock and all that was like the fallout that came after. And that was balls to the wall, loud amplifiers, feeding back people diving into their instruments and, that's what I grew up on. And it didn't seem like anybody, there was never any talk of um, auditory health from any of the people that I looked up to. I didn't have a guide. Do you feel like that's changing at all? Um, like, like the people who are starting now, the, the 15 year old, 20 year old versions of you who are just getting out of high school and thinking about joining a touring band. Do you think they're thinking differently than we did? I think more information is out there, you know, like if your ears start ringing and you type that into Google, you're going to see things about tinnitus almost immediately. And then you have a name for this thing. Oh man. And then you're on YouTube looking at videos of people like me talking about it or whoever and telling you it's basically a lifetime sentence, especially as a percussionist. So I think things are changing. I feel like people overall, just in general, are more conscious of their health in general nowadays. I think the spread of information on the internet in regards to health sometimes is like the, the best thing to ever happen to the internet. And it's light and dark as honeydew and pumpernickel bread. The trap I set for you seems to have caught my leg instead. You know, you're associated with a band that is a loud band. There's moments of explosion, there's moments of quiet. Do you find that with that, it, it's more tricky to talk about this stuff openly in public? Tricky to talk about the concern with loudness, the concern about your ears? No, that, that makes it all the more reason I feel like I should be talking about it. Like if we were like a folk indie thing, um, this probably would have never happened. But years of repetitive loud loudness is what did it. And those explosive symbols that I'm like riding, washing a symbol, that's like the stuff to me that's like the kill shot for my ears. Mm -hmm. not, not to be morbid, but our sound engineer, he would be like, dude, I'm pumping your monitor so loud. Mm -hmm. He's like, I, you need to get in ears. Like you're going to go deaf. And I'd be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And he stopped mixing shows above certain decibel levels for the safety of the, the audience, because it's like, it sounds just as good. You're just giving it that extra push over the top and you're just wearing people out and causing ear fatigue and 
So he's very conscious of this. When he mixes even his own projects, it's mixed low. Mm -hmm. And he always has his in-ears when he's walking around the venue and stuff. So he was one of the dudes that kind of put it on my radar. Because he was like, I'm doing this stuff for you. I don't want you to be deaf. But again, at those moments, I felt fine. And you're like, I don't want to invest however much money into this thing which is like the in-ears, the in-ear rig, all the whole setup. Mm -hmm. And for what? It's mm -hmm. like, oh, I didn't want to spend a couple hundred dollars for something that was like just a, a saving tool. What What's your advice then for, for people who are either starting out or they're in your position earlier when you were just using stage monitors? When they look at that price tag, you know, there's budget systems. You could do it do the whole thing under a couple hundred bucks or there's like you look at the real pro price tags and you go like two thousand bucks for wireless like what am i going to do like wh what's that going to do for me like can you speak to that at all to those people yeah well interestingly enough since i'm stationary he set up like a uh like a port box so i didn't have to invest in the wireless setup i'm going direct and that's huge. So if you're a drummer and you can, and you're playing shows and you have a monitor, you could, for $650, you could have a setup like that that's would help a lot. But I think, yeah, the direct and, and, you know, he makes it every night that it sounds like I'm playing a large room, which is awesome. Even in like a bar, it feels like I'm playing like a stadium with, the reverb and the effects and it, it just sounds good. It's it's actually more inspiring to play. And that's when you become like really aware of the dynamics of your playing too. Cause you can hear all the ghost notes. Mm -hmm. You can hear how you're interacting with the other instruments. And it's not this loud, just wash of sound that isn't necessarily that pleasant when you hear like four guitar amps and your drums just in a room. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not that pleasant on your ears. We're recording at Studio Four in Philadelphia with Will Yip. We were making our record, Pale Horses. And I was playing to a click. The click sound was a cowbell. So like we're in this huge recording studio and then there's a like a mixing room and it's isolated. We go to listen to the takes. I put my headphones down on my stool and we're listening in a the control room and it's very, very isolated. And everybody's like, what is that sound? And like nobody could figure out what the actual sound was. And then they're like, oh my God, your headphones still have the click. You could hear it over the music that we were pumping through these speakers in the control room. Mm -hmm. You could hear it from the other room. And that was kind of a shell shock moment of like, I'm listening to the click that loud, like ear piercingly loud. So that was like 2014, 2015. Everybody became pretty concerned after mm -hmm. that. It was like, wow. That the fact that I could even take how loud that click was hammering me. It's so frustrating like to be in that moment and the there's a certain 
I've never really found the right word for this because it's not shame. It's not guilt. It, I don't know what the word is, but there's a certain like tingles feeling where you go like, oh no, what have I done? Yes. That really kicked in the gear after that Pedro the Lion tour. When I was like, it was like you open this Pandora's box of this unpleasant sensation in those moments where you're like struggling with it and it's this new phenomenon to you. And I was like oscillating between like, I can get help to deep regret, very, Mm -hmm. very deep regret for the mismanagement of my ears all those years. to bed at like eight o'clock the one night because I just felt like I was, I did not feel like myself. And we came home and then the next weekend we had a camping trip. My heart was racing the whole time. Even at night we were in the tent and I'm like, I think I'm having a heart attack. That was from the anxiety, the overstimulation of my brain of like, what is going on? I got to fix it now. Oh my God, I can't live like this. This, I got to fix it now. It was just like, Kind of like the system overload. Mm-hmm. I booked appointments to doctors the next week, soon as I came home, whoever I could see. And, you know, that was kind of fruitless. But <laughs> Heartbreaking. There was a lot of, I need to take action anxiety, mm-hmm. but you don't know what that action is. And like, I was like having like suicidal thoughts and stuff. You know, I can speak candidly about it now because I'm glad I'm alive. And I think to myself how silly it would have been if I would have done something stupid to try to make this thing stop. But that's the the ledge that I was inching towards and writing my wife strange notes about how she could leave me because I'm like afflicted and my life's only going to be hell. That that spiraled in like a matter of weeks from like I'm riding high. I was just on tour with some really old friends and a band I love and respect. And this was after a great year of touring. We did mm-hmm. so many awesome tours. Um, and it felt like the music, my music career was like where it should be for the first time ever consistently. And I just went into like a hole of despair. Yeah, I tried just about everything. You know, psychiatry, they tried to put me on medicine that I just didn't feel like that's what I was looking for. Do you have anything that's going to help me sleep? And it was like, oh, we think you're depressed. We're going to put you on X, Y, and Z. And after like a few weeks, it's like, no, I'm not. I love life. I love my family. I love my friend. It's like, I'm not depressed something's happening to me physically at every second in the day Mm -hmm. Uh, not to be too dramatic but this is what it is i've pinpointed it 
and the reality coming down that like there's no cures for it. And then I met you and it became like, we can manage this thing mm-hmm. and you can manage this thing. But that took like three whole months to get to that point. Do you, did you think at that time of, you know, your career is at its height? Did you think at that time, maybe this needs to stop? Oh yeah. Um, I was writing the band emails every couple of days, like giving these progress reports of like, I feel insane I want to jump off a building like this is so intense. You, you have no idea. And couple that with the whiplash thing. I was having stomach issues. It just felt like I was at a moment where my body was just failing me. Things were like falling apart. And and the band, I told them like, there's probably a 50% chance that I can't do this thrice tour which luckily we did because that would have been so doing that thrice tour, really rallying to do it uh, was the best thing I could have did for myself at the time. But we even had a backup drummer on standby who was learning stuff. My friend, Daniel Davidson, he was in a band called Norma Jean. And then he was in a, every time I die, he was on standby and he was one of the only dudes I trusted with the keys to, our music because he had been there since like day one his band took us on some of our early tours and he's a radical drummer i was very doubtful that i i would ever play drums again like honestly you might sleep but you'll never dream With like the thought of not playing the music, that's one thing. Also intertwined in this is, for all intents and purposes, this is my uh, career. So missing out, it was like a twofold of missing out on this thing you love and potentially being like financially destitute. Yeah. And having to pick those pieces up and rethink your life and all that. When you're not ready to. Right now with the farewell and all that, I feel ready for whatever comes next, but when it's kind of stripped away from you or being dangled, mm-hmm. um, it's a lot more chaos happening mentally, but God bless my wife because she was there in the middle of the night when I would wake up and I'd be holding my head in the other room, crouched over. Like, I can't do this. Like, you know, I would sob. And I would get out of bed to go sob in another room because it was just so intense and so extreme. Like you, you toss over in the middle of the night, then you're awake and now you're triggered because your ears are ringing and you, you're like, I, I know I'm not going to sleep tonight. So I'll just get out of bed. Um, and that's extreme. There were, there were nights like that, many nights like that, but she, she was great. Uh, through the whole thing. And she's one of those people that like, if there's a problem, she's like, you got to start making these appointments. She kind of like pushed me in that direction. Cause I feel like the dude energy is like, yeah, it'll sort itself out. Can I stand up and walk around? Like dudes just will take it to the end. Just walk it off. Exactly. And for whatever reason, like she really um, was one of the people that pushed me. But just being there for me to like give me a head rub or like massage my ears. And, you know, all the guys in the band were incredibly supportive. 
to the point where I was like, okay, that's, that's cool that it's do whatever you have to do. And we're here for you. So that, and, you know, I have a great, great group of friends and people were sympathetic. And at the time I just really didn't want to see people. I didn't want people to see me in that state. That's not my normal self. So that was hard. I isolated from like best friends texting me and I didn't text them back for weeks. People trying to call me. Some people even showed up at my house just to see me because they knew that I was struggling mentally because it really takes over your, your mental space. The, the band paid for my actual good in-ears. That's how on board they were. They were like, we're going to pay for your last hearing test. We're going to cover your ears. Like they wanted me to know that I was valued in what we do. And just as a friend, they wanted to take care of me. I can't imagine um, dealing with any of that on my own. Like you said, that so many people don't have either the financial means. They don't have the social safety net that will catch them when they're doing bad. If I had been like alone and a single dude, honestly, I don't know if I would even be sitting here talking to you about this. And that's, I, I do not say that lightly. Yeah. It really shocked my brain when, when it came on pretty bad. And then I linked up with you and you were the, the final push into you can do this, pal. You got this. like a thought i always have when i'm like i wake up in the middle of the night and it's like rip roaring or i wake up where i i keep having these thoughts and this was since it started like what what's gonna happen when i'm 60 and i have this what's gonna happen when i'm 70 and it's like i have to shake myself out of that it's like it doesn't matter what it's gonna be in 25 30 years because i have today and i have to I have stuff I got to do. I have a life I got to live. And I kind of like push myself past all that. And it's easy to get wrapped up in like these negative thoughts. And part of a huge part of it is almost tricking yourself out of it. If you are caught in a negative space to really muster the strength to get out of it and force your perspective from a different angle. And that's more or less how I manage it. It's a constant head game. Because you said one time, I was like, well, what do you do about it? You're like, I just, I eat barbecue. I get ribs <laughs> and macaroni and cheese and I eat it all and I enjoy it. Yeah, because like, that's in response to people saying, 
and giving advice saying, you know, go on a special diet, cut out sodium. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the short answer is clean living is good no totally. matter what's going on with your life. But that was what you're asking, right? Something like that. I, th- I think I was like, how do you manage this? Because you said you you kind of, you dealt with tinnitus for a long time. Yeah. And it was, I think, one of those things like uh, your, the moral of your tale was like life kind of goes on. Do mm-hmm. what makes you happy. And in doing that stuff, you know, you think less and less about it. Mm-hmm. Probably for up until that point, I depressed deprived myself of any joy. Right. I did not allow myself to listen to music that I love. I didn't make meals or go out to eat. I didn't watch movies. I found nothing to be enjoyable. And after that, you said that I called my wife. I was like, yo, meet me up or two cheese. We're getting a couple pizzas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, cause it was right there. I'm not like a Bertucci's fan, uh-huh. but there's a Bertucci's by your office yeah, when yeah, we yeah. were. Um, so I just went and I wolfed out and it felt great. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, let's get back to like living kind of. Uh, when you go out and you're like, all right, I have work today. I'm going to focus on my work. Then I have to do X, Y, and Z. You don't have time to really get caught up in those ringing of your ears because you're focused on other things. And for me, that gap, I didn't really do anything. I, I had a lot of free time. And free time is like your enemy if you're mm-hmm. suffering from this. I wanted to get a sense of where you are and your, your take on this kind of open-ended thought, which is just why loud? Why are we, uh, as people, why, are we, why do we love loud? Why do you love loud? What drew you to loudness in the first place? And like, what's, how does that, how has that changed for you? Like now that your ears have, you know, started to create their own loud sounds. So like, what does loud mean to you? Now I go to things and I'm like, how can anybody handle this? Cause I also, along with the molds for the in-ears, I got custom molded earplugs that go everywhere. They're in my bag. Doesn't matter where I'm going. If I'm at work and we're throwing stuff in a dumpster, they're in my ears. Um, or even I, I'll go work with my dad. Sometimes he does like carpentry and I'm like, dad, you're riding these saws all day. Like these miter saws and stuff. Like you gotta put on headphones or something, man. Mm-hmm. So loud to me is everything. Like you said, we live in an extremely loud world, lawnmowers, airplanes, cars that take their whatever off that makes them even louder. I hate those people. I, like choppers and motorcycles and stuff that I'll think to myself, you're purposefully making this sound that's harming everybody's ears. Or when you see somebody sitting in their car to light and the music's so loud in their car and you're like, please roll down your window. Allow me to explain something to you about why this is bad. (laughs) So loud is like, we live in a super loud world 
I think that what drew me to loud was like going to shows and especially like punk and hardcore shows and you're surging with a crowd and the music's kind of like the drum that's going on and you're in this crowd that's like moshing and doing all this stuff and it feels like kind of the adrenaline's flowing and like anything could happen kind of situation that's what got me into loud that's like the the first hit is on me that is the the what started the addiction to it was just going to concerts and feeling that energy and i can't help but think that the loudness of it is a huge part of the visceral experience of it huge um but why loud yeah who plugged in a guitar who who started hitting a bongo with a stick like it just I don't know the the term energy. I mean, like loud is literally more energy, right? Sound is louder yeah. because energy was added to it to make it louder, more amplitude. But it's also just literally energy. It's like if somebody can play something louder pre-technology, if somebody can sing louder or stomp louder or, you know, whatever it was louder, that meant that they had more energy. They were literally yeah. more powerful. Um, and then we just, we have drum sets, we have amps, we have the ability to Walls like, of speakers. Yeah. I mean, it's the phenomenon of what that loud sound does to your insides and your brain. Mm. But yeah, that loudest power thing is probably real. Um, and especially from like, it's almost like you painted it from like an evolutionary standpoint mm-hmm. of just how as a society we've um, grown into it. I wish we could all just turn down. You know, there's no turning that back. Everybody likes being at like a huge loud concert. Totally. But if you're going to do it, like do it responsibly, you know, mm-hmm. bring some earplugs and especially at like the super large ones, like where you're at like a 20,000 seat, like you can still feel it in your chest when you have earplugs, you're still feeling the music. It's just not going to hurt you the way it would if you, if you didn't have them in. That's I, I, Yes. I wish I could express it as eloquently as you just said, because everybody thinks like the earplugs makes it not fun, but it's like, no, 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 no. The fun is still there. It's just yeah. like a seatbelt doesn't make driving a car not fun. Anything that you want to plug here at the end, this is your time. You know, anything, any links or any anybody that helped you along the way or anything like that, I, I'll, I'll include all that. Yeah. I, I don't really have any, anything to plug. Um, you know, I would plug you, Frank. <laughs> uh, I would say get to an audiologist if you're experiencing, if you're a musician who plays shows or you go to concerts, get your hearing checked every couple of years. It can't hurt. It's relatively cheap. That's what I would plug. I don't. And if you're like a uh, job recruiter that needs like a skillless 40 year old dude in three months, you can <laughs> hire me. I'm a good worker. I come, come in on time. Yeah. I don't <laughs> No That's, plugs, here. but I would say plug, plug your stuff, man. You're amazing. You're, yeah. you're a, you're a gift. Uh, you've given a lot, a lot of great music. Um, these words, it's just one way to turn this negative experience into something positive out there in the world. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this. I know I appreciate your words because even from my perspective of living with tinnitus for 20 something years, the way that you put it helps me. Yeah. I think finding other people that can share and 
what you're experiencing is huge. Yep. So I think finding other people mm-hmm. that you can connect with. I have a few friends that some of my stuff has resonated with them because they experience it too for various reasons. But it's almost like we lean on each other. They'll yeah. like text and be like, I'm losing it today. And then somebody's like, just hang on. You know it comes in waves and you know you can control it. So that's like super huge is just finding a small community that you can be open with about it. That's great. I love that support. But yep. Again, Ricky, you are a hugely kind person to give your time for this. I ah. I, I wish you guys amazing luck on this tour. Hopefully I'll see you on hey the man, Philadelphia leg. Yeah, I'm all about it. Talking Ears is a production of Earmark Hearing Conservation. You can reach us by email at talkingears at earmarkhc.com. We would love to hear your thoughts about this episode and hearing wellness in general. Theme music was by Scott Hallam. You can find more of his music at audiodowsing.com. Additional production and editing assistance by Juan Vasquez and Mary Kim. Thanks for listening.